0: Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's Bible study is entitled, Where Do We Go From Here? Lesson 2. All right. Time to, time to start. Good evening. Welcome back to our second installment of Where Do We Go From Here? Again, I want to give credit to Dr. David Jeremiah. Some people, some, where are you? Someone from Minnesota said they got a free book of his. Where, there you are. That they will send you a, who was, who's sending you that? Billy Graham, Billy Graham. Or, okay, they're sending out a free that the same book that I'm getting this information from. Same same sermon series. Get it? He he, or he's, he goes in a lot more detail than I do, because I'm just I'm cutting corners because y'all are super slow. So <laughs> no, because we don't have enough time. We have a certain time period here. You notice our weekend we're already crowded here, so it's just a prelude to what's going to happen in the summertime. We don't have Sunday evening services in the summer because you can't get home. It take an hour to get back to Port Isabel. So if on the weekends, because everybody's here on the weekends, they leave on Sunday night. Guess what? So if you live off the island, you're along, Pastor Bill isn't that good, you know? <laughs> Stay home and watch him. So anyway, and the purpose of our coming together is not, I mean, it is to learn. Of course, we want to study and learn. We also want to fellowship, and fellowship is, is has, we have to be creative about that because because we're, we're churches overran with a lot of visitors, it is what it is, because we, we love our visitors, and, and um, we love our, our tourists, and we love the seasonal aspect of where we are, but it also is, is makes it, you have to be more creative to be a church, and so church has a lot of fellowship. A lot of you come from churches where you know everybody, the same deacons, and his wife sits on the same pew every single Sunday, and it doesn't work that way here. If you plan to sit in the same pew every single Sunday, you better come really early, especially in the wintertime you won't get to sit there. That's just the way it is. It's a different place. So I had to relearn church and thinking how church worked because I grew up in a very rural setting and a very very predictable church. You know, same thing happened every time, and we loved it. But anyway, it's not like that here. So we're going to be a lot of places in the scriptures uh, tonight and uh, looking at a lot of things, like I said, focusing on uh, globalism, uh, jumping off last time from socialism. What's the use of globalism if you don't have a government to run it? That's socialism. That's a great, whether it be socialism or not, it be something like it. Uh, it's it's, it's uh, tailor made for the global uh, kingdom that's coming. Uh, the ultimate global kingdom, you realize, is not going to be socialistic. It's going to be an absolute dictatorship. Jesus, it's going to be an absolute dictator. You'll love it, it's going to be great because he's righteous. See, the problem with any system, say, well, what we have in America is, is the best system. I do, I do think it is, but only because it just limits our ability for our, for our wickedness to control things. It, it just slows it down. It doesn't stop it. Capitalism is, no, no system is good. It's only as good as the people that are running it. So if, if people are running it are wicked, you know, oh, we drive, we're driving it in the ground. Why? Because we're evil. That's why. It's, it's, there's not a, there's not a, there's not a perfect system because, unless you have perfect people, kind of like a perfect marriage. There ain't any of those unless you happen to be perfect yourself. So don't expect out of the marriage what you did not bring to the marriage is one of the advices I give my wedding couple. So if you're not perfect, then don't expect perfection. So don't expect perfection out of any of these systems. But there's, there's some that are precluded to, um, to going bad really fast. One of those is a globalist system, uh, and we're going to see that. So but let's pray together, and we'll start uh, looking at this. God, we thank you that we can fellowship together. Thank you for this food that you provided for us and uh, the food of your word. Now, we just uh, want to open ourselves up to you, God. We know that you know all things, and uh, we don't in any way want to pretend that uh, we do. In fact, God, we want to say from the beginning, we are uh, easily deceived. We're easily led astray. We easily believe false information, even though we're your children. Uh, we are not uh, inoculated against falsehood. We're just tied to the one who's the truth, Lord. So help us not to depend on ourselves, our intellect, our experience, our uh, abilities, our training, or anything, God, help us to just look to you. Uh, as you say in the Psalms, as, as a servant looks to uh, the hand of his master, so, Lord, we look to you. So we just want to focus our eyes on you, and uh, know that you hold the future, and know that you're here, uh, all, as always, your scripture's here to inform us, to tell us, Lord, to not leave us in the dark. And so we're asking you to open our eyes to the truth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Several years ago, I think about four years ago, a story spread over the internet, because that's where all the truth is, right, <laughs> that the United Nations was working on a plan called the, quote, New World Order. Actually, that was a title given to it, but actually it was titled, the official title was the UN Agenda 2021-2030. So it was supposed to begin in 2021 and end in 2030. Here was the agenda according to what was reported. One world government, global currency controlled uh, by a central bank, uh, no more national sovereignty, universal income, mandatory vaccines, microchipping of citizens, and the end of fossil fuels. This is three or four years ago. Now, when the report came out or they were accused, the UN was accused of this, they vehemently denied it. And the reason why we know that they were telling the truth is because they, they were exonerated by our national media and the international media. So that's how we know. How do you know when they're telling the truth? When the media is behind them. That's how you know. I told you to stop watching those yahoos. They're 100% lying to you. You know that, right? All they're doing... Is making money off of you. They're selling ads. They're not doing anything else. Uh, I've had several experiences traveling internationally, doing different things, hearing different things, trying my best to learn. One of the experiences I had was going to Israel. I've been to Israel a lot. We're planning on going this fall. If you want to go with us, there's a sign-up sheet in there. By God's grace, if they don't require uh, vaccines or shut down like they did before, we're going to go. Um, but, but So we were over in Israel, I don't know when it was, maybe 10 years ago, and uh, my brother, I have an identical twin brother, who's also a Baptist preacher. And while we were there, there was some kind of small uprising in Jerusalem, which is pretty much every day. You've got a lot of conflict. Jerusalem is not a place, even though the name of it is peace. There's nothing peaceful about Jerusalem at all. You've got a lot of warring factions, lots of people who hate each other. I mean, hate each other. You may have grown up in places where there's racism and hate, and I'm not trying to downplay that anyway, but I, I did too. In fact, I grew up down the road from from the leader, of the, K, the city that was leading KKK for the whole state of Texas. So I understand racism and hate. I've seen it, but it nothing like in Israel, nothing like between the Israelis and the Arabs. You've not seen it. I've just never seen anything like. It. Anyway, there was a minor uprising of some sort. It was very small. It was very, very. The Israelis are very good at controlling stuff like that. It was no big deal. We were in. We were in Jerusalem on that day. And they sort of just segregated us off and say there's some there's a police action happening over in this district and it's you know there was no gunfire none of that so my brother calls me that night and says did you hear what happened where in Israel but no where did it happen in Jerusalem when today <laughs> it's all over the news there was this huge uprising and a bunch of people got killed da, 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 da. and I said Brian I I. It was on the Via Della Rosa. We were walking through there. None of that happened. Because why? Because they know that you can't verify it. So they're just looking for that. They're just pushing you around. So the only way you can stop them is to turn them off. You can't stop them from doing what they're doing globally. and You just can't. You personally, though, can stop it. You do not have room in your head for that much misinformation. You just don't. You can't verify it. You can't prove it. They're mopping the floor with you through it. Stay away. Anyway, whether we realize it or not, these issues, like I said, even though our media denied it, nonetheless, uh, whether UN is, is actually in process of this, you can see how these things are very plausible. Can't you? If they had said it five years ago, maybe we would say, I don't really know about that today. And then we're like, oh, yeah, I can see that happening. Recent global emergency of COVID-19 nearly crushed the world's economy, and they bailed out by central banks throughout the world, which really only kicks a can down the road, sets us up for an economic crisis, which we're on the cusp of. We were run out of no fiscal stimulus. Uh, government is, is reducing their balance sheet to zero. They're, they're increasing the, the rates. Uh, our uh, economy is failing uh, we don't produce anything anymore, right? We don't, we don't make anything anymore. We're just total, We just whatever China sends us. And so who's going to bail us out? We don't have the pack capacity anymore. Where are we going to get our oil from? See, we've been pushed into a corner now where we're totally dependent upon a global system. And uh, they really just, like I said, set us up for a, for a significant recession at the very least globalization just simply means we realize that we're living in a community, an economy that's irreversibly connected. That's where we are. It's not gonna happen. It already has. The news I bear to you is just simply to say, hello, we're already there. We're not headed there. It can get, it'll get worse, but we're already past point of no return. Unless there's massive global changes, I personally don't see it, which I'm not sure why you would go by what I see. But I personally don't see it. So something happens in China, Russia, right, immediately it affects our pocketbooks. That's unprecedented. Go back 20, 30 years. Didn't happen. Uh, Bad news in a major player sends our stock prices either up or down that day. That didn't happen in most of your lifetimes. Did not happen. Something has drastically changed. Information that used to take weeks to disseminate to our level of living either... Or never got to us at all, now gets over to us faster than what happens across the street. Because what? Got a phone. By the way, not only do you, but pretty much every person in any third world, we're as connected as we have never been this connected before. So, third world, all all of our, we were just having a conversation about these West Virginia people over there, and I was raised in the woods in East Texas. But just a generation back, we were third world. We lived off of what we made, we killed what we ate, nobody, we didn't know anything because nobody told us anything, and we didn't watch the news, and we didn't know nothing, and information either never got to us, you know, we had, somebody said the stock market crashed, we thought, how many cows did it kill, you know, <laughs> didn't know what that was, <laughs> no idea, <laughs> that is not true anymore, you go to uh, some of the most backwards third world countries, and they've got a Computer in their hand that's as powerful or more powerful than the computer system that sent our boys to the to the space, the 60s. Realize that. That's the capacity that we have now. And so our 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 interconnectedness is already, it's already happened. This is already something past us. The wave has already rolled past, and it was a big one, and we didn't really see it. It was all good. We seem, seem to be all good. Technology connects us more. We're able to find out a lot more. Nobody has to do research papers anymore. That's awesome. I think uh, because all you got to do is say, "Hey Google," you know, "Hey Siri," um, but but there's this is a, a tsunami and a tsunami doesn't come in one wave. In fact, the first wave usually isn't the biggest. So bigger waves are behind this one. So my part of my point here is just to say you need we need to be ready for these waves, and that's we're going to be talking about some of those things. But now we're part of a global system that reaches virtually everywhere. And already we stand on the edge of a recession, like I said, on one, one world economy, one nation, not one nation can pull us out of this. We're in a global recession. I mean, many powerful economies are close to bankrupt, including ours. I mean, our growth of GDP is abysmal, and we're not the worst ones. So um, we're sinking ourselves, and some people say, well, it's, it's because it's a conspiracy. And I agree with you totally. I just don't necessarily believe there's any single person behind it at this point, but there will be. It's coming. It is forcing us to come together economically that we never thought possible or probable, and the Bible predicts that such an era is coming, going to be fueled um, by the world's economic and political convulsions, um, where the only answer will be unification. Economically, politically, uh, the dissolving of our borders, the dissolving of our currencies into one, uh, under one central leadership, seems entirely plausible now, does it not? You talk to our fathers, you listen to our churches and the preachers back in the 30s and 20s, and it was like, wow, we, we know what the Bible says. It's just hard to imagine. Things have changed that much since then. broader scope of historical events, I want to give you some just some highlights here to kind of help you understand where we are in the sense of globalism. Globalism is nothing new. It's been attempted several times, and we looked at it last time, in particular, Genesis 11. In fact, why don't we go there just just to be just to re-up ourselves on that, because it's a short little chapter. Genesis 11 is the first, I would suggest to you, not the first attempt at globalism, because I think the, the first attempt was prior to the flood, and it was part of the reason why God ended it all in the flood. Because when you get a bunch of sinners together, apart from submission to God, they become worse than the sum of their parts. And that's the reason why God ends it here in chapter 11. He separates them because of language which, which cuts, cuts, them, uh, cuts them up and segregates them. Chapter 11, now the whole earth was used, used one same language and the same words, so the same dialect, if you will. Came about as they journeyed east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, which is Babylon, um, Iraq today. And they said to one another, "'Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly.' And they used bricks for stone, and they used tar for mortar. And they said, "'Come, let us build for ourselves a city.' And the towers whose top will reach into heaven. It's the beginning of the horoscope. I told you that. They cast bones on top of this thing so that they could receive direction from the stars and the planets without having to go to God. So it's in rebellion. We don't need God. We can determine our own destiny. The stars and planets will determine that way. So horoscope and that stuff is very, very evil and very, very old. Started in Babylon. So it says, The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men built. So, first of all, that's kind of weird the Lord's got to go anywhere to figure stuff out. Now you do. It's amazing what the Lord does for himself. He doesn't have to go anywhere to get information, by the way. He can verify anything he wants to without having the media tell him. You, though, on the other hand, if something happens in, let's say, Ukraine, you have no way to verify it. Well, let me, since, since I'm dirtying my soapbox about media, so we know the media has been lying to us, but now they're telling you the truth about Ukraine? You have no way to verify it. You have no way to know. Unless you go. Anybody been? How do you know what's happening over there? We're all forming, we're postulating opinions, we're all, you know, everybody's fighting on social media about it. Bunch of knuckleheads. Y'all don't know. We're not going to know. There's no way to verify. What in the world are we doing? So we're separated over, not, over issues, as far as we know, that don't even exist. So maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. It's a waste of your time to try to figure it out, as a Christian, I believe. So but here, here they are. They're coming together because they recognize the only way to keep everything together is to keep it all together. All the only way I can keep you from defecting to God and you fall into our system is to make sure that you're, we're under the same situation. So they're, they're, here they come. The Lord comes down to see the city and the tower, which the sons of men have built. And the Lord said, Behold... They are all one people. Isn't that what we want? No. Not if you know the Bible. They all have the same language. Isn't that what we want? No. Don't vote for it. Unless God's king, unless Christ is king, do not be a part of this stuff. Because I'm telling you, it is very evil. Don't do it. This is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Why? Because their heart is evil. This is rebellious. There's a rebellion against God. And so they become exponentially bad, which pushes God into a place of judgment, which he just got out of that, just destroyed the whole earth with a global flood, saving only eight people and two of every animal. Now, within 400 years, we're back to the same situation. So God's going to put a stop to it. Why? Because here's, here's the thing. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So why does God do any of the things that he does? Why does he continue to tolerate this world that blasphemes him? Why did, as we study this morning, why did Jesus put up with people who said he's got, doing what he does by Beelzebub because he's not willing? That any should perish. Why, why does he argue with them? Why, why does he try to show them the absurdity of, of their arguments? Because he's not willing. That any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He loves us. Wants us to be with him. He doesn't just sit up in heaven waiting for us to, to implode so he can kill us all, although he will have to, largely. So he de- he's delaying this, and it's effectively like segregating inmates in a prison yard. You don't let them run together because they become greater than some of the parts. You segregate them so that they don't have, they only can be as bad as they personally are. If You let them get together, 30 turn into 90 in, in the sense of, of manpower and ability and, and knowledge, and it's all for the wrong stuff. Come, let us go down and confuse their languages, that they may not understand one another' speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, which means to Babel, right? But it became called Babylon, which takes on a different, different nature. So, so here's where it started. And uh, God segregated us because why? Because we can't be put together. We really can't. And it's a a false, satanic notion that thinks we can, away from God. Now, under the heading of Christ, under the submission to the Lord and His rule over our lives, it is going to be global. In fact, we're going to be together, and it's going to be awesome. But He's going to be the king, and He's going to be the ruler. But if we come together under the heading of men, supporting ourselves, oh boy, gasoline, or I should say, uh, you know, free some atomic particles floating around in rich, in, in rich uranium. The stuff is going to go off really fast and really hot. So Nimrod becomes the global leader of all this, and I'll show you him. He becomes the, the head of this. He's, he's the guy that builds Babel. Cush, it says, father, was the father of Nimrod, and he began to be the mighty one. There. He's the first global leader. He's the guy that's pushing this and moves them to Babylon. The second global leader, interestingly enough, tries to do the same thing in the same spot babylon this guy was named nebuchadnezzar king nebuchadnezzar of the ba- babylonian nebuchadnezzar was the first of four kingdom king, king progressions of world rulers and i want us to read about them we're reading a lot of bible tonight so it is a bible study right so daniel chapter 2 we read about these progression of global s- systems and their progressive failures, and the next one, building back better. He didn't, he didn't come up with that system. The Romans and the, and the Greeks and everybody else did. And they did build back better, but it's still uh, headed toward a bad thing. So Daniel chapter 2. Again, the whole point is globalism. Under one head, one world government, one world currency. One world unity, you know, if what are, what, but what are we if we're evil in the deepest parts of who we are? Uh, we turn into something really, really bad. So what's taking place here is Daniel and his friends have been exiled. They've been taken captive and taken to Babylon as teenagers. Uh, they are put into the service of the king, turned into eunuchs probably, uh, put into the service of the king. Uh, turns out because of God's giftedness of them, they, they rise to the top very fast uh, but this king, if you know the history of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar inherited the throne just like that. His dad died. And he inherited all of his dad's cronies, all the old wise men, wise guys, and all of the bureaucrats, and all these others. So a part, a part of his issue was is when he becomes this absolute despot, he's still got to kind of kneel to all these old guys. And so part of what you're going to see here is him just getting rid of them. Because he could do that. And that's what absolute despotism does. But also part of that, he's blown away by this dream that he has. He has this dream. And in this dream, he sees this, this statue. And this statue is not built like you would build any statue because you put, the, in the dream, the heaviest metals on the top and the weakest metals at the bottom. You would never build something like that. You put the heaviest at the bottom and the weakest at the top because the thing won't stand up, right? So it starts with gold, goes to silver, progresses to bronze. And then the iron and the legs, it, it decreases in value, decreases in specific gravity, increases in strength as far as the metals are concerned, until you get down to the feet. But the feet are mixed with iron and clay, and iron and clay, of course, don't mix. So the whole foundation of this thing is very, very weak. And uh, that's the, that end one is where we're headed to, that, that final global system. But let's read what happens here. So Daniel, he, he basically uses the opportunity to get rid of all these old heads. So he says, he has this dream, it's very disturbing. What does it mean? He doesn't know the answer. So, so he calls in all his wives and calls on his officials and he says, I want you to, instead of saying interpret the dream for me, he says, I want you to tell me what the dream was and then that's how I'll know you'll be able to tell me what the interpretation is. Because he knows if he tells them the dream, they're going to spew a bunch of CNN all over him. <laughs> you know." going to tell him what he wants to hear, what they want him to hear, but not really what's the truth. So the way he knows, the litmus test is, if you can tell me what the dream was, which he's the only one privy to it, then I know that you're speaking to the right God, and that that right God, therefore, can interpret what the dream is. And of course, nobody can do that. So he sent out the order to kill every last one of his dad's old cronies, because, hey, it's the way you clean house. That's what he's going to do. Verse 24. Therefore, Daniel went to art. So, the, Daniel and his buddies are all part of this. They're every last person that was in the bureaucracy killed, just killing them all. So, so, Daniel has prayed and said, God, please show us. He's intervened on behalf of all the other wise men and fortune tellers or whatever and said, Please, God, show me what this is so that I can save these people and so that I can save myself and my friends. And so, therefore, Daniel, it, God receive, he receives this message from God, and then he's going to tell it to the king. He goes to Arioch. it says in verse 24, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. And he went and spoke to, to him as follows, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation of the king. Daniel may be 19 years old. Very young. Arioch hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence, spoke to him as follows, I have found a man. What a bureaucrat, right? I found him, right? He's trying to get marks. <laughs> Way to go. Such a bureaucrat. I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can, who, who can make the interpretation known to the king. He didn't find him, but nonetheless. The king answered and said, Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered and says, no, effectively. As for the mystery which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare to the king, however, there is a God in heaven." who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was your dream and the visions in which your mind and which while you were on your bed. And as you, O king, while on your bed, thoughts turned what would take place in the future. And he reveals mystery. He reveals mysteries. Has made known to you what will take place. As for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man. But for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king, and that you may understand the thoughts which are in your mind, you, O king, were looking. Behold, there was a single statue, and that statue was large and extraordinarily splendor, and was standing on the front, and, and was standing in front of you. And its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold; its breasts and arms were silver; its belly and its size of bronze; its legs of iron; and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. I said, so "You don't build a statue like this. It won't hold up." You continue looking, and the stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet, so at the very bottom, the last regime, if you will, and the iron, of the iron and clay, and it crushed them, and then the iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold, and it was crushed all at the same time and became like chaff in the summer threshing floor, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became great, a mountain and filled the whole earth. This, he says, was your dream, Now we shall tell you its interpretation before the king. You, O king, are the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom and the power and the strength and the glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beasts of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hand and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold, Babylon. The first of these four progression, building back better, but nonetheless not as valuable, although much stronger, each one in progression. After you there will arise another kingdom inferior to you, but bigger, Persian, Medo-Persian, Persian, far greater kingdom than Babylon. And the third kingdom of bronze, that's Greece. The same, the same scenario plays out in Daniel 7 as well, the vision that Daniel receives. Same, same order, same, same likeness in, in every way. Which will, But in this case, beasts as, as opposed, opposed to metals. Bronze was ruled over the whole earth. Notice that each one of these are global. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron. Of course, we know that to be Rome. Inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks in pieces, it will crush and break into pieces. And in in that you saw the feet and toes partly... How many toes? It's important you know. How many toes? Probably ten, right? We're guessing ten. We can verify it other places, but since it's made of a human likeness, we'd assume... It's got head, shoulders, arms, and legs. It's got ten toes. So it's important you know how many kings there are because it's, it's they're major players in the end times, those ten toes. So the toes of the feet were partly of iron, partly of pottery, and some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it will be brittle. And in, in that you saw the iron mixed with the common clay, they will be combined together in, another in the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, which has got some strange implications, but we don't have time to open that up. Even as iron does not combine with pottery, in the days of those kings. Now, what is he talking about? Those ten toes represent ten kings. The final regime is going to look like that. Ten power players, globally positioned, whatever they are, to rule over the earth. And out of those ten will come one who will destroy three remaining, you know, ten minus three. What does that give you? Seven. One, and one of, those, one of those three, or one of those seven, I should say, that are remaining will, will be the guy we know as the Antichrist. This is a scenario that I'm putting together, and we're not looking at the Scriptures, but it's, it's exactly what the Scriptures tells us how this is going to come about. That guy and that, that kingdom, which starts out with ten, and the final, final result is seven ruled over by one guy, is the final global system. That's going to be a kingdom of a statue that's already brittle, because it's made out of iron mixed with clay in the feet. So, anybody lost a toe here? Even one toe makes it rough. Try losing three out of, seven, out of ten. So, we already got a statue that can't stand alone. It's already brittle, so it's decreasing in value, decreasing in specific gravity, increasing its strength until you get to the place where the iron mixed with clay, and now we chop three of the ten toes off. What well, we got? A kingdom that is tottering. So, this kingdom is going to be flash in a pan. It's going to look really good, really fast, and it's going to go away really fast. So, so what the Bible predicts and what Daniel predicts here a couple of places is that we're going through a four, four global systems that are built back better. So starting with the Babylonians, then go to the Medo-Persians. They built back better and then conquered by the, the, the uh, Greeks who built back better and bigger under Alexander the Great very rapidly, very fast, took over all the, all the earth, basically from the Indus River all the way to Europe. And then, who came next? Rome. Very powerful. Dominated the earth unlike any of the previous ones. The kingdom of iron. And they're typified that way in Daniel 7 and the vision that Daniel has of the animals there. This kingdom, though, was never conquered. Well, that's not true, Pastor Bill. The the Gauls sacked Rome. Yeah, they did. But they weren't interested in power. They are interested in the things that matter to most men, which is women and booze and Loot and they left and went back to northern Germany. That's what they did. Because any, any Germans here? I know we've got several. That's, you know, the Germans, they're, they're just out like that. <laughs> <laughs> no. So the Gauls, yes, they sacked Rome, but they didn't take over Rome. They weren't interested in the power of Rome. They didn't want the armies of Rome. They didn't want the responsibilities. They were just war chiefs. And they, got a, they, got a, they got, came out on a good day and they conquered Rome. Caught them, caught them off guard and conquered them, did a couple times. Rome basically was never conquered, just dissolved into its respective parts. Anybody here from ancestors from France? I know we got some. England, Scandinavian countries, Germany, right? We were all part of Rome. We were all Rome. We, we dissolved into our respective parts. Many of our countries have tried to reconstitute. The French, of course, under Napoleon. More, more recently, Germany. England, of course, tried to rule the world. The Dutch, where the, we got some Dutch here. The Dutch tried to rule the world. France, uh, Spain, uh, never so much Italy, Italy never recovered. But all of us trying to reconstitute and bring this back together, because why? Because globalism's the answer, don't you know? And something has stopped us all along the way, but this is going to be reconstituted. The phase two of Rome is coming, but it's not going to be like phase one. It's going to be brittle, it's going to be quickly dissolved and destroyed. It's going to have, like I said, the strength of iron, but the brittleness of clay mixed into it. So Rome was never conquered. The Bible predicts that we're headed into a final regime, headed by a reconstituted Rome. By the way, Rome dissolved in its respective parts, but its respective parts were ruled by an unlikely uh, entity for a millennium. You know who that was? Roman Catholic Church. Very unlikely. Roman Catholic Church commanded larger armies, had, say, over more land, had more money, had power over more people than any Roman government emperor ever did. Not Julius Caesar, not Nero, not, you know, Domitian. None of these guys. Roman Catholic Church, very unlikely recipient of that uh, source. So, nonetheless, the Bible predicts that we are headed into a final regime, headed by a reconstituted Rome, led by the one we call the Antichrist. That's where we're going. Characteristics, of, like I said, I've already told you. It's going to be ten kings of some sort. Uh, dwindled down to seven. One of those seven is going to be your guy to watch out for. But, but way before we get to that, you need to know what's going to happen. How do we get to this place? But anyway, his personage and regime is going to be an amalgamation, we're told in Revelation, of all the previous uh, leaders and regimes. Daniel has laid out this course of history both for us. It's set. It's, very, it's, very, um, it's predetermined. Uh, the end is going to go just like you say. Every time you pray, thy will be done, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, you're asking for this to come. It's coming. It's set. It's just going to happen. So you need to deal with that. <laughs> However you do, and we're going to talk about how to deal with that here in just a second. This final kingdom is going to be complete rebellion against God. Uh, not going to be atheistic. It's going to be theistic in nature. Uh, the atheists are not going to rule the world. Theists will. But they're going to believe that there's a rival who is equal to God. That's the Antichrist. That's how he's going to have this kind of power. And in fact, it's going to seem like he does have that kind of power, seemingly raising himself from the dead. So this final kingdom is going to have this incomplete rebellion, and we're in the early stages of it. Let's take a look at what it's going to look like. We have further explanation in Revelation chapter 13. So let's go over there. Again... All this all this is under the heading of globalism, pushing toward globalism. We've had several attempts, and, and more, more recently for the past, well, really for 2,000 years, we've been broken up into our respective parts. It's not going to last. In fact, we're coming together better. We're talking about building back better. We're coming back better than we ever did. What Rome could not do in its first phase one, it can now do, because we're so connected. And we're connected economically, we're connected politically, uh, we're connected in, ev- in every way. I can get on a plane and be anywhere in the world, you know, tomorrow. I can get in a car and drive all the way to Dallas tonight, which is what I'm going to do. Y'all pray for us. Um, couldn't happen. Just, 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 a, just, like I said, just a, a, a generation before, we, were, we lived in the third world in the big thicket in East Texas. And we could ride a horse in, or rock, walk up the creek and take the branch and then go they still have a house that's or a cabin that's like that there in the woods in Virginia, or West Virginia, but you know, just not too long ago we were just like this. But but so rapidly we have our circumstances have changed. Revelation 13. It says, and he stood. Or I should, let's let's read the last part of uh, he that is the the end the last part of Revelation 12 tells you this is the dragon. He stood on the sand of the seashore and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. The picture of the sea is the picture of the Gentile world. It's foaming, it's, it's uh, confused, it's rocking back and forth, it's, at, it's, a, it's a picture of turmoil. So out of the turmoil of the globe, if you will, rises this beast. This is having ten horns and seven heads. There you go. So it starts with ten kings, it diminished down to seven. I already told you that one. One of these seven is going to be the bad guy. And on his horns were ten diadems, and out of his head came, were blasphemous names. On his head were blasphemous names and so so out, out of the sea of these people this turmoil rises up one like who was like nimrod if you will by the way pay careful attention it's, don't miss it there's not a coincidence so nimrod rules in babylon right he starts the first babylon nebuchadnezzar rules in babylon uh, persians rule in babylon greece he in fact uh i believe i believe Alexander was in the great was buried in babylon uh, rome moved babylon west so, but Babylon's coming back on the scene, and this guy, this global regime, is going to be headed up in Babylon again. So, so, the concluding picture of this world globalization is what God is delaying, what God was delaying under Nimrod in Babylon is the concluding picture. We're going to all come together again, which is going to require, among other things, the end of our language separation. What keeps us apart, partly, is we can't talk to each other. So, we're, we're ending that, aren't we? We had fun. Where's Tom Ray? There he is back there. We had this little Chinese girl. How many years? That's been five years ago. We had a, a little Chinese girl. I guess she wasn't that little, but she was smaller than me. But uh, she was. She had a massage job here on the island that she worked for, and she was, had a visa, and her visa ran out, and she went back home. She was here every Sunday worshiping with us. Could not speak one word in English. You know how we communicated with her? Very easily. Google Translate. You can. We found out you can talk into that in English, and it will spit it back to her in Mandarin. Amazing! This is five years ago. Uh, Amazing. Isn't that awesome? That's great. By the way, you know what? The first miracle that God did when He created the church, so He sends the Holy Spirit in the form of fire, lands on all the disciples in the upper room, what's the first thing they did? Spoke in tongues. Isn't that interesting? So that everyone could hear the gospel in their own language. Gathered there in Jerusalem were men, men from all countries who were Jewish background. Interesting. So once we come together under the Holy Spirit and the direction of God, our tongues, or the separation of our tongues, cease. But without the direction of God and without the direction of the Holy Spirit, if we try to cease our tongues, guess what? We're headed on a venture that only has one very dark end. So that's the story of chapter 13 and other places. So the beast you saw was like a leopard. So this is an amalgamation of all these, these animals that come up out of the sea in Daniel chapter 7, which we don't have time to read, but I recommend it to your reading. The beast the saw was like a leopard, that's like uh, Greece. His feet were like those of a bear, that's like Medo-Persia. Uh, his mouth was like a lion, that's like uh, Babylon. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne, the dragon to be the devil. Great authority, and I saw one of his heads as if, as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. The whole world was amazed, followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon. you have to call him Satan to be worshipping him? Yeah. No. What do you have to do to, to worship Satan? Just not worship Jesus. Either you're with him or you're against him. Now, don't got to call him the right name. doesn't matter. The whole world worshipped him and followed after the dragon, and because he gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? We know who that is, who's like the beast, but they didn't know. Who is able to wage war with him? We know that answer, but they didn't. They were given to him. It was given to him to speak uh, arrogant words and blasphemies and authority and to act for 42 months, that's three and a half years exactly. And to act, it was given to him. And he opened his mouth and blasphemies against God and blasphemed his name and his tabernacle and those which dwell in heaven. Who's that going to be? Well, I hope it's going to be you. So he's got to say something about what happened to the church because prior to this, the church is raptured out. So you've got to have a. He, he's, CNN's got to report on that. So he's, here's your talking head, disseminating words from the top, telling you what happened. Those were evil people that went to, you know, up. So he's going to blaspheme us, so knock himself out, right? We're already up there. And it was given to him to make war with the saints, That's very specifically is the Jews, and to overcome them. And authority was given over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him, and all who dwell on the earth, worship him, and everyone whose name was not written in the book of foundation, uh, Written from the foundation of the world in the book of life, the Lamb who has been slain, anyone who has an ear, let him hear. In other words, you better pay attention to this. He's really giving you some, something here. He goes on to tell us that he requires everyone to receive a mark. If you look down there in verse, uh, where are we? Verse t- well, we're in verse 10, but I'm trying to find where he says that. He deceives the whole world dwell, verse 14, on the earth because of the sign which we're him. This is the, the false prophet, formed in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image in the beast who had the wound, of the sword has come to life and there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. The image of the beast was, might, might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all small and great and the rich and the poor to free men and slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. We're going to be having, not this coming Sunday, I don't believe, but maybe this coming Sunday, talking about the biochips the bio that they're inserting. It's not a matter of, it's not a matter of, it's gonna come, it's already here. The technology's here, they're already doing it in many European countries. It's eye opening. Eye opening. Uh, also scary. So, but no, no reason to be scared of it. So, so he's, he's got a globalized economy, this Antichrist. He controls the finance and the commerce, the trade, as well as the lives of those who receive the mark, anticipate if, or to participate, they have to have. What he says they have to have, otherwise they can't participate. It it wasn't interesting, wasn't it amazing that we had several places, including California and New York, that if you didn't get a vaccine, you couldn't eat. And if you had a business and you were not vaccinated or didn't require people to be vaccinated, you couldn't do commerce. Is that coincidence? Because that's exactly what the Antichrist is going to require. Can't do business, can't buy and sell unless you do what he says. Now, do I think the Antichrist is standing out there pulling the puppet strings? I don't think so personally. But can you see how plausible this is and how fast did it happen? So we went from, oh, my goodness, I don't want to get sick, to, oh, my goodness, what are they making us do? I can't believe this. How did we go this fast? Because you don't realize how close we are to the brink of this. At least maybe I don't. Maybe you do. But I didn't. Amazingly, incredibly close you will not be able to buy and sell unless you participate in this system. You can imagine. It's very plausible, is it not? Uh, chips, like I said, are being inserted today in the hands of multiple European countries, especially Scandinavian countries, so that a person will not need a credit card. They're very convenient, by the way. So I don't need a credit card. I've got, a, I've got this bi- biometric chip in my hand uh, encased in silicon. And in this chip contains tons of information. It tells it's my passport. Uh, it's my... Uh, it's my of course my identification it's my credit card it's my bank account it's my immunization card it's I, you know by you know people i i didn't get it. if people want to know i didn't get the vaccine i don't know if y'all you know want have me lynched or whatever but i told people at lunch i said i didn't get the vaccine i didn't get the vaccine for several reasons one because vaccines have never really worked on me I, i'm always the person that gets the vaccine from i always get sick from a vaccine first of all uh, but And by the way, I'm saying this not, not to say, oh, well, the pastor says no one's going to get a vaccine. I'm not saying that at all. You need to do what you think is best. I didn't want to get it because I'm not a vax. I just don't do shots very well. I usually get really sick with a shot and then don't get the bug, whether I get a shot or not. So I would pay 40 bucks and get really sick and then turn around and get the flu anyway. It's just like, psh. So, and I'm not, getting, I'm not a sick person generally, so I just didn't get the vaccine because it was just, I don't know, the neck in me just said, I don't want it. So I didn't. And that was, based, that was about the level of my reasoning, because that's kind of the, I don't know what you take me for. I know it says doctor out there on the sign, but really I'm just, a, you know, I li- I'm from the woods in East Texas. And so then, so my first reasoning was, I'll just let everybody go ahead of me, you know, and, because people who need it need to get it, and I don't feel like I, want, I just don't want it. Then they started saying we had to have it. Then, guess what? That ensured that I wouldn't get it. <laughs> Because I am a redneck, you're gonna tell me I gotta do it. That's the reason why I won't do it. I'm dying of thirst, If you tell me I have to drink that water. Well, then for that reason, I'm not gonna drink it. You know, I'm just gonna. I'll prove to you. I'll hold my breath till I fall over. You know, so not good reasoning. Nonetheless, it, it, it's interesting how 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 weirdly this was taken by so many, and how easily they pushed us into a place of being controlled by this. And what they use. Fear, fear is very powerful. So if if, and I'll just say this as as preparation, we got hit blindsided. I don't, in my opinion, the church didn't do very well in this go round. This is just the first wave of a tsunami, though it's small. The waves are going to get bigger. So it was a test, and I don't think we did well. I don't think I did that well. Like I said, the redneck and me did a bunch of, you know, redneck stuff, but. I have to rethink myself and my position because somehow I'm, I've been convinced that my country's, the life's always going to be like this and it's always going to be sweet and everything's going to be wonderful and we're going to float around in clouds together. That's not what's going to happen. So if I'm going to get blindsided, well, I should say, if fear is going to be the waves that come, I need to be ready. You need to be ready. We don't think we did very well as a church. I'm talking about just internationally, globally as a church. I don't think we did that well. I cannot speak for any, you know, I'm not there, so I don't really know how everybody did. But my observations. So we can't do like this anymore. Because the world's going to get darker, and the best time to shine is when it gets dark. And if we're going to act like idiots and get pushed around by fear, we're losing our opportunity. So we can't do that. Let me just say this to you, and I don't mean any offense. You're going to die anyway. 30 years, most of the people in this room, are going to be dead. So, no matter how many shots you get, <laughs> and I'm saying get them. You know, if you want to get them, get them. I'm 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 not forgetting on the first first uh, train out of here. But understand, there is no inoculation against death. It's coming. You gotta get you're gonna get sick and die somehow, or you're run over by a train or fall off a boat or something. Something's gonna happen. So so don't be afraid of that. It's happening. You're headed to heaven. Hopefully you know Christ is Savior, so you're headed to the right place. So decide how you're going to live now. And that's the part of our point of our, of our coming together here. Not so much globalism is not so important as much as we know, how, so I can be ready for it, so I can know how I'm supposed to live, so i represent Christ correctly. The, the, to me, the worst thing is a world that's, that's quaking in their boots, looking over at Christians who are also quaking in their boots. I thought Jesus was your Savior. You're going to heaven. Come on, guys. That, that's just, it's sad to me. It's sad. So globalization, this globalization, again, we can see, as, as it says uh, in First John, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's already out there. It's already done. The wave, first wave's already passed, maybe several. So we, we have to already decide what we're going to do when the next wave comes. They're going to be bigger. They're gonna be more intense. Like I said, we talked about last time. It's it's the Bible typifies it like a woman who's in labor. The labor pains don't get less. They get greater, they get more intense, and they get closer together, and they're headed toward a birth. So we're headed toward a birth. Be ready for it. Be ready. The Bible's already warned us. Like I said, these things are already set. The Bible has more to say about that last rebellion, the global regime and the global regime of righteousness that follows it than it does about any other time period in all of history, past, present, or future. More to say about that last global regime, which is going to be a flash in the pan, it's going to be really short, it's going to end very catastrophically, and it's going to give way to a thousand-year reign of another global regime, which is none other than led by Jesus Christ himself. It has more to say about those two things than it does about, in the, in the interim that's in between this, this time of judgment called the tribulation, that it does about anything else. If you miss out on that part of the Bible, you're missing out on like two-thirds of all the Bible has to say. Almost very difficult to put your finger down anywhere in the Bible and not hit one of those subjects. The end end regime, or how God's going to end it, or the regime that's to come, which is the regime of of the Holy One, Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says Jerusalem's going to be the capital of that end regime, that final one. uh, That people from all nations are going to come to Jerusalem to worship the Lord and learn from him. That, that uh, Jerusalem is going to be the capital of the entire world. The temple there is going to be the greatest, most glorious structure on the earth at that time. Uh, very mighty rivers going to flow out from under the foundation of that temple, going east and west. The one that goes east is going to water the, the, what's called the Arabah, which is where the lowest uh, sea is in the world, the saltiest sea in the world, called the Dead Sea. Is going to turn it into fresh water. Uh, it's going to be incredible. Uh, fruit trees are going to line both sides of these rivers, going east and west. Those fruit trees are going to yield their fruit every season. The seasons are going to be monthly instead of yearly. Not going to be annual seasons anymore. So it it, it speaks of something uh, environmentally is going to change. We also know something environmentally is going to change. So it also says people's lifespans are going to extend out to almost 1,000 years, like it was prior to the flood. So this is coming. Jesus is going to be king. He will put an end to all wars. People will busy themselves with farming. Any farmers here? In agriculture, learn how to plow. If you're headed into a kingdom, well, they're going to be doing a lot of that. In fact, it's going to be so rich and so blessed that it says that the, that the reapers are going to be overtaken by the sowers. So let's say we plant the whole world in uh, food products, and we're only able to reap about half of that until it's time to plant again. So we just got to plow, over, plow, plow under perfectly good crops. We just won't have time to reap them. That's how good it's going to be. That's the global regime that's coming after this one, this wicked one that's coming. Deserts, so these are just, just, I'm just giving you excerpts from the scriptures. Deserts will turn green. Life expectancy will increase, like I said, to a thousand years. Nature will be transformed. There will no longer be predators and prey. Predator-prey relationship will be removed. Wolves and lions and lambs will graze together. Joy will be the standard of the earth, not oppression, not sin. Uh, and this will not be eternity either. It will only be a prelude to eternity. And this is, here's another characteristic Here's out of Isaiah 11. So a nursing child will play by the hold of a cobra. Don't do that today. See, that's something environmentally is going to change. The weaned child will put his hand in a viper's den. Woo. I was raised to be scared of them things. They will not hurt or destroy it on my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's that's gonna nothing like anything you see today. Only in your personal life, hopefully, that you know you're you're covered with the fullness and the knowledge of the Lord. This is coming more rapidly than we realize. uh, Especially the one that's the the bad one that's coming before the good one, right? It's coming more rapidly than we realize. So back to our original question: the whole point of our study is, what do we do now? So how, how am I supposed to operate? We've already addressed some of those things. One of those things is decide you're not going to be afraid anymore. The best time to shine is when it's dark. So set in your mind that we're going to act the best we can. I'm not saying don't wear a mask or don't get a shot. I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying you need to say, what does God have for me? I got a much there's much greater agenda than, I li- than that I live through this. There's a global agenda, and it's God's. And God's rescuing people not willing that any should perish, but some that they should come to repentance, right? So what part do I play in that? Well, I think a good lesson for us and a good place to look is what happened when the disciples saw their Savior rise into heaven. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Because the angels give instructions to the disciples there, and I think it's important for us to get what they did with that and what they said about that. Acts chapter 1. Verses 6 through 11. So they were coming to him saying, Lord, is it at this time you're going to restore in the kingdom of Israel? So the whole asking questions of when is the, the end coming? When is Jesus coming back? Stop asking those questions. Stop it. Because Jesus says here, it is not for you to know. So if anybody tells you that they know, you automatically know they're not listening to Jesus. It's not for you to know none of your business again we, we want to busy ourselves with global politics and global things i would submit to you it's not for you to know who, who told you you're supposed to know all this stuff well i want to watch i want to know stuff so what difference does that make how is that impacting the eternal kingdom of god how is that impacting you other than probably making you worse because now you're you're worried now you're upset now you're mad at a whole like me mad at a whole bunch of people you never met before How has that improved anything? Why not spend the same amount of time asking God to direct you about the mission that he has, reaching the world, because we are globalists here, but not in this regime, in his. We believe the world needs to be reached. Here's here's the global mission. He says, It is not for you to know the epics or the times. The Father is fixed in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses globally. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest parts of the earth, after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him. He stand on the Mount of Olives, he goes north, or goes up, not north, that would be straight up. As they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they said, Men of Israel, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking in the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as, he was, as you have watched him go into heaven. How was he taken up? In a cloud? Where, does, where did he leave from? From Jerusalem or from the Mount of Olives? So you, it's the same scenario. The Bible says that's exactly the scenario that's going to take place. So they returned to Jerusalem, and they waited there. Of course, came the Holy Spirit, came the tongues, came the end of the separation because under God, God removes that boundary, that segregation in the jail uh, uh, yard anymore. It's not there anymore. Why do you stand gazing? What do, what do we do then? Well, several things. Number one, worship the glorified Christ. John sees the glorified Christ. Let's look at that. In Revelation chapter 1, worship the glorified Christ. He sees this image of Jesus. And John walked with Jesus for three years on this earth, but he never saw Jesus like this. Revelation chapter 1. In fact, I think I have it on the screen up there. Nope. There it is. Yeah, I've got, I've got, you're welcome to look it up, but I've got it on the screen. He says I heard a voice behind me and I turned Revelation chapter 1 I saw one like a son of man clothed in a robe reaching to his feet to the feet wrapped around the chest with a golden sash he's dressed like a high priest in the old testament His head and his hair were white like the white like white wool like snow and his eyes were like a flame of fire his feet were like burnished bronze when it was, has been uh, heated to a glow a glow in the furnace and his voice was like the sound of many waters Uh, In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as a dead man. You understand how he does, right? Yeah. Worship the risen Christ. The way we stay sane in uncertain times is worshiping the ruler who is to come. If he's in charge, what do we have to worry about? If he's got it handled and it's already finalized, No reason to be upset. Unless you plan to live forever, which you're not. You're not. If he's in charge, nothing else matters. Either we worry or we worship. Either we worry or we worship. So how do we move, how do we go from here? Well, we learn to worship him. We learn to focus on him. A matter of gaze. We gaze on our world situation. Well, it's upsetting. I can't find, there's hardly anything in our globe today it's like, yeah, that looks really good. Most of it is just kind of like, whew. Can it get any worse? Yes, it can. A lot, It's going to get a lot worse. So if, if that's your focus, well, you're going to be just, just like the stock market, you know, every day, up and down, up and down. Focus on the Savior, and that's nothing but a growth market, 100%. Number one, worship the Savior. Number two, embrace. This is critical. Your global mission. We are globalists. We have a global mission to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's our job. What is it? Whatever that takes. If I got to get vaccinated to get that done, get vaccinated. If I got to get, I don't know, live in another country to get that done, live in another country. If I got to lay down my life and give up my job, and my income in order to get it, then do that. Because it's going to, you're going to lose it all anyway. So, so use it with the time we've got because of globalization. We have the opportunity to take the gospel to every single. Person, unlike any other time we ever had. It used to be a foreign missionary. We, we traveled in Cuba, I think I told you last time. To them, a foreign missionary was somebody you put on a bicycle that got to, that could ride to the other town because it took him five days to get back. That's a foreign missionary to them. That used to be the way it was. You got on a horse and went somewhere else, you know. Today, what is foreign missions? Anywhere you can get on a plane, go. Anywhere I can get on my phone and go. Eventually, we have people watching this, they'll be watching this tonight. That we're, that we're filming from many different countries in the world. Us. That's amazing. We need to use that opportunity. We are globalists because we have a global gospel. And God has separated every tribe and tongue we talked about under Nimrod, but he unified us again through, as this sign. This, he signed it there by, by giving their tongues to show that we're together, we only come together under him. We are globalists. The church, when it's faithful, always thinks in global terms. Always. We shouldn't make decisions about, well, there's other churches out there doing stuff. Let's let them do stuff. No, we should think as if we're the only church. Or maybe I'm the only Christian. Well, if you're the only Christian and the whole globe is your goal, what would you do? You need to head in that direction. And then expect God's going to bring others of the body of Christ alongside you, but nonetheless, you need to head in that direction. Same is true with the church. If we're the only church. What would we do? Change the way we think, I would hope. People, again, are bewildered by life. We should not be. We should expect more and more of this. As the successive waves of this tsunami pass over, people are going to get more and more fearful, more and more easily controlled because of fear. We can't be those kind of people. We, we have the tools uh, to, to reach these people. We need to be about it. Uh, tools like social media, not a place to argue a debate, but uh, to share the gospel to the world. Uh, what can we do to advance global missions? Can we go? I'm putting it to you. I'm not going to give you any I'm giving you. I'm giving you directives. I'm not giving you ideas. I think the church is capable, the body of Christ is capable of coming up with their own directives. They, they can figure it out. But, but it's to me and leaders to say, listen, we got to do this. So let's come together. Whatever it takes to, to reach our global mission uh, through the church, what ministries can we support, what ministries can we be a part of what regions can we reach and go beyond there? Missionaries that we can encourage. How can we do this? We have an incredible opportunity. Amazing. The interconnectedness of people, like I said, at least initially, is a great thing. It's great. It's bringing us all together. Like I said, it's gasoline on fire. But, but in, the, in the short run, we have an opportunity to reach a world unprecedented. Unprecedented. What, what can we do? What do we do? embrace your global mission stop again the world and the devil wants you to focus on yourself you're going to die anyway there i've preempted him for you (laughs) you're going to die anyway so don't worry about that go on and do what god's told you to do and then the third thing we need to do is anticipate what's coming to be ignorant of what the future holds to not think what the bible says is true now you're in for the wave's going to wash over the top of your head it's coming it's predetermined the two angels said, the same Jesus will come in like manner, just like you saw him. So understand where we're headed, and to, to be forewarned is to be forearmed, right? So now we know. Now I can be calm about it. Now I can understand that God's in charge if I didn't already. Now I can see where things are going. I know that God's going to take care of things. I've got to take care of my business so that I can be a part of God's business, whatever that is. Uh, during his presidency, Woodrow Wilson, right after the First World War, along with a number of world leaders, met in a Paris mansion. Uh, they had their Treaty of Versailles, which was no treaty, it was basically just a huge uh, uh, punishment to Germany and turned it into the Weimar Republic, of course, set the stage for the, for the rise of Hitler, if you know your history. Nonetheless, they they had good intentions. They met. Uh, Germany had collapsed. Uh, they literally met in a room with a map on the floor and decided how the world was going to be divided up. Our president, Will Woodrow Wilson, uh, the presidents and premiers of a number of different countries, the powerful people, they literally sat in a room. In fact, it was so in- the, the, the scene was so interesting that Edith Wilson walked in the room and said these words. He said, you look like a bunch of little boys playing a chess game. From that meeting, they decided the boundaries of countries like... Sudan, Egypt, Libya, Saudi Arabia, they literally drew the boundaries of the and who would rule them in that meeting. Palestine, Jordan, Lebanon, Iraq, parts of Iran. We we are still fighting wars and dissensions because of the decisions that they made in that room. Oh, Woodrow Wilson was a response. His wife said, "You look like your little boys playing a chess game. They were all down on the floor." And he said to his wife, "Alas, quote, alas, it is the most serious game ever undertaken because on the result of it hangs the future of the peace of the world." Called it the League of Nations. It's an abysmal failure because the decisions they made in this room set the stage for World War II, the rise of Hitler. Because like I said they had this huge punishment and created the Weimar Republic, and of course, if you know anything about it, and then, of course, the rise of the Third Reich, and then all that, uh, uh, set the stage for the rise of communism, the Holocaust, and the nuclear age, nuclear, nuclear weapon age, I should say. And uh, even, even to his best, best attempts, he, Bridger Wilson basically worked himself into a debilitating stroke, and his wife served as, as a shadow president for the remaining part of his career, if you know your history. So, uh, it was an abysmal failure. Why? Because that's what globalism is. Apart from God, we cannot come together. We will destroy each other. The whole story is you come together, we're going to love each other. No, we won't. No, we won't. We will kill each other. The coming global regime is going to be the most deadly. The most, I mean, we've, we've had a lot of people die, right? This, this was a horrible. The pandemic was bad. But nothing, like the Bible predicts that one half of the human race is going to die in a very short period of time. Who buries them? Where do they go? What do you do with that? We had a small, tiny fraction or percentage of the human race pass away over the past two years. What do you do with half the human race dying in in the same period of time? That's where you're headed. They'll be ready for that. The current attempts of globalism will end even worse than the effects of, like I said, the decisions that were made in Paris on those days, uh, and the leaders of Europe, and when, when the Antichrist comes. We are one existential crisis away from this coming together. Realize that. We've got the technology. We've got the means. We're already global. We cannot, even though we, you know, All due respect to to President Trump trying to establish borders and do those things. you understand why they hated him? Well, there's a lot of reasons. I'm going to tell you all the secret. I didn't vote for him. I voted against Hillary is what I did. (laughs) I didn't really like him. He's an arrogant dude, you know, full of himself. So I didn't vote for him. I voted against Hillary. I voted against, uh, just so you know, our current president as well. I didn't vote in favor of 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 of, uh, of uh, Trump because I don't like him because he gets on my nerves. I think he's a great guy in in, in many respects. I think he, he was it was a noble attempt of his to do what he did, but he's not popular. Maybe you didn't know that. <laughs> his mindset and his mission. And the decisions that he made fit real well with a 1940s and 1950s United States of America. But that's, uh, uh, again, God could intervene. He could say, and he had set back. I mean, he changed the tongues of people and enabled, you know, set back the, the timing of the end. It's been set back into this day. God couldn't can intervene and do that. I just don't think he will. I think, I think the die's been cast, and here, here we are. And we're past those times. And so, again, it, not, not to say that we should vote, you know, oh, well, it's going to end anyway, so let's just vote in favor of it, just get it over with. By the way, you are voting to that degree when you say, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. Bring it, God. What does it take? What does it take to end all this and so that Your will is done on earth in this united global kingdom where Christ is king? It's going to take it to get really bad first. The tsunami's got to wash over the whole planet before it can be reestablished so you are praying that way but, but, but again we are ahead of being Americans we are Christians we have a mission I would love to see America last I would love to see what we've had last I would love to have uh, next time we're together I think I'm going to quote a, a, a famous prophet you, you, may, you may have heard of him his, uh, uh well I've forgotten his name now <laughs> You're gonna know. You're gonna know him. That guy, because that guy. he made some. He's a country and western singer. Oh, what's his name? Merle Haggard. Merle Haggard. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, have we lost it all? Is it over? I wish the buck was still silver. You know that song. Pretty good words, I think. So I wish we could. I really wish we could. I don't see it. And again, my my purpose isn't to say don't be Americans because obviously you're going to be Americans. My purpose is to say ahead of being American, you're a Christian. Make your decisions as Christians, not as Americans because you are going to have to decide between the two. You already are. But we have to. God's not called you to be American. Called you to be a Christian. If you can be both, awesome. It's been great that we've been able to do that for a long time. I just don't know if those days are here anymore. So we've got to make our choices. So we'll stop right there. And next time we're together, I think we're going to talk about, I can't guarantee you because I haven't studied it yet, but I think we're going to talk about the, the chip. I've already, I've studied it, but I haven't written it, so. Questions? Tom? In the book of Genesis chapter 11, verse 7, it says, Come, let us go down and confuse their language. Yeah. It is us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God always speaks to Himself of Himself in plural. Let us make man in our image. He's always, always been Trinity in nature. Us. Now, yeah. you could argue that angels were involved in that, but mostly angels are bystanders. They're just there to do the bidding of God. They don't make any decisions. Those, whoever went down, I think it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It, they were decision makers, obviously. So. Yes, ma'am.
1: social credits I'm not familiar with you're talking about,
0: you're talking about green credits or, or social credits? Having all of the data on you and deciding
1: how far you can go and travel Right 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 oh
0: yeah it's part of it Yeah. Yeah and it, it the chip is the chip is very powerful it's it'd be great if we were all good people at heart like people think we are the chip would be awesome because it checks your blood pressure it checks your sugar level your heart rate tells it, it you know you anybody ever, ever worn a heart monitor or um, had to have your, your head examined. I'm sure you did. You know, where they, where they test your brain ways to see what's going on in case you have strokes or if you've had uh, seizures or whatever. This chip does all of that. And they can check it remotely. So your doctor is automatically wired if your blood sugar takes a dip. That's awesome technology. That's incredible. We already have that. Do y'all, does anybody here uh, diabetic and have one of those little patch things that sticks on your leg and you wave your phone over to tell you what your blood sugar is? Same technology. What's that? <laughs> Your dog did. Your dog did. <laughs> so You see them promoted everywhere. I mean, it's, it's good. It's, it's, the technology is great in the right hands. It's not. These, this technology is, 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 um, is neutral. You know, a gun doesn't kill people. People kill people. Now, people use a gun to kill people. But a gun, it'll lay there all day, all year, all, all century, not hurt a single person. This, these chips, they won't hurt anybody in the right hands. In the wrong hands. Oh boy. They know where you are, they know what you do. You swipe your hand to cash. They they load up your credit card or take it away. Come, you've lost your you've lost your entire freedom with that. Will it detect What's that? What's it say? So will it detect that crime? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe, I yeah. bet they'll try. I'm about the try. i not sure how they're going to sell it to us. Uh, it's it's really big. I believe I, be, I believe it's Finland. It may be Sweden. It's one of those one of those two. Really big. They're really pushing it hard. People are, are lining up to get the chip inserted their hands. A little bitty. It's about the size of a large uh, grain of of, uh, of rice. And they're injecting it between your thumb and forefinger so it's right there. So there's not a bone to interfere when you scan it. It doesn't mess mess with anything. It's 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 great technology, it's incredible. But no no in the end. No whano at all. Okay? Something else? All right. Let's let's pray. We'll head out of here. God, we thank you that you're in control. And Lord, we, we have definitely needed help in worshiping you and not being focused on ourselves and focused on what's happening uh, or what seems to be happening in our world. So Lord, we pray that that would be our focus. We pray our focus would be our global mission that you've called us to and that uh, we'd be focused on, no, we already know. It's not that we're not informed. You've told us. As you told your disciples, I've told you this ahead of time so that my joy can be in you. And we can live a life of joy. We can live a life of peace. We can live a life of confidence. Our lights can shine brighter in, in the dark days that are coming. And so, God, we're asking for your help. Help us to set in our heads right now who we're going to be. And we've had this uh, test. And maybe we didn't do so well in this test. I don't really know fully. But Lord, I pray that it would be a learning experience for us so the next test that comes we would pass, we pass with flying colors. Thank you, God, for uh, instructing us. Help us, God, to grow. And that help us to see our world from from your scriptures and not be so influenced by the world that's around us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.